I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Christy. She lost her infants, and we're talking about grief. Let's talk about it. Let's get right into it, guys. Uh, we're going to be talking to Christy Wapat. How do you how do you say? Is it Wapat? Wopat. Wopat. Uh, Christy Wopat. Uh, and uh, guys, I I I'm coming into this conversation with a little bit of like a reservation, uh, not because we're talking to Christy, but because we're going to be talking about something that is uh, just inherently really hard to talk about. Um, uh, Christy, we are, we are sitting here talking to you, uh, about your life, um, which was captured in your memoir. Um, the memoir is titled almost a mother love loss and finding your people when your baby dies. And, uh, we're going to be talking about infant death. And I don't think we've really, I mean, we've, we've touched on this on the podcast in the past. Um, and <laughs> when we did, it was that kind of episode where it was like, holy shit, this is really heavy. Um, uh, and so, so I guess uh, to k- kind of get us started here, Christy, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, first okay. of all, introduce yourself. Uh, thank you for taking time to sit down and chat with us. Let us know who you are and, uh, and a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Um, my name is Christy Wopat and I am a fourth grade teacher and a mom of two living children and two non-living children. And I live in Wisconsin. Um, I have written three books. I wrote a memoir, like you said, about infant loss and then a children's book for siblings of babies who die to try to help them honor their memory. Mm. Um, And then I wrote, I released one last summer that's about pregnancy after loss, um, what that's kind of like. But my basic story is it was my first pregnancy. I had lived through, suffered through some infertility, but it was like, I hate describing this, but I was sort of like the most fertile of infertile. Like I just (laughs) needed to take a pill and then I ovulated and then boom, I was pregnant with twins. Um, And I was like shocked and excited and nervous and all those things. And Um, just randomly out of nowhere, when I was, um, 21 weeks pregnant, the water broke of one of my twins, my daughter who was lower. Um, and I just like, I just didn't even know that it could happen. I was so like, what's, what's going on. Um, I stayed pregnant for a few more weeks, believe it or not. Um, which it's, it's like, really dangerous because then infection gets in, which is what happened. So we don't, you know, there was a lot of unknown, like did the infection come after, or was I already having an infection and it made the membrane break, but basically then I started dying, (laughs) like not to be dramatic, but then I got the infection and they Mm. wouldn't let me stay pregnant anymore. So then they stopped doing all the things that were stopping me from going into labor. So then I was 24 weeks when both my babies were born. And then my daughter died that night and my son the next day. Oh, when, Jesus. So, so when you say that, um, your daughter, your water broke, was it, did you, did you say your, your daughter's water broke? Yes. First? Is there, mm-hmm. are they separate when they're yep. um, fraternal twins? So they twins? were, yeah, they were fraternal twins. So I had two separate, um, Mem- like sacks and it was just her water that broke um there was talk like I don't know I guess I thought like 
okay, well, they can fix this, right? right. Like, it's the year 2009. There's got to be something they can do. Like, pump some water back in there. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I truly, I and I started Googling what you should never do. And I found, like, some guy in Florida that, like, I, it was probably in his basement or something. I don't know. That would try to, like, reseal the sack and pump Whoa. fluid into it. Like, I was so desperate. But it turns out, like it's one of the things that there's nothing you can do. Uh, so when, when you say that they like put you, did you say that they put you on medication to like keep the labor going at that point? Or like, what do they do during that time to like try to keep things moving until from week 21 to tw- week 24? So they gave me, um, a lot of antibiotics and they kept me in the hospital on bed rest. And, um, this is really strange and I can't even remember what it was called, but they like elevated my legs, um, to try to like keep you in that position, um, to alleviate the pressure. And then they gave me shots of steroids that were, um, to help the baby's lungs develop because that's, that's what they knew was going to be the problem. Like lung development happens between like 21 and 24 weeks. Um, so yeah, that's that's all they could do. That's what and they just as soon well, they basically stopped giving me antibiotics after a while because they were like, okay, you're going to become immune to them and then if you do get this infection, um you you the antibiotics won't work for you. So we can't just like keep giving these to you. So Oh my god. At, at that point, like do you remember what was going through your head in terms of like of like, I don't know. I imagine it's so difficult to try to balance that like idea of thinking, well, I want to survive this, but also, you know, I want these babies to have a a chance at living. Like, what is it like trying to balance that idea of like, oh, well, the longer you go, you might die, but also at the same time, if you stop, then these babies are for sure not going to make it. It was honestly those two weeks um were so just like excruciatingly painful because I didn't I didn't know what I wanted. Um and n- the nurses and doctors were trying to prepare me for every scenario and they're like they weren't really good at it. <laughs> so they <Yeah>. were like <laughs> um like I remember this nurse coming in and sitting down in a chair in the corner and was like I'm going to give you a pamphlet for funeral homes and you need to make a decision about like what you're going to do. And I sat there thinking, wait a second, (laughs) like I'm still pregnant. I don't know what you're talking about. And then my husband who really struggled because he was like, okay, I'll be really sad if these babies die, but like, you can't leave me. So Mm. hearing his part of it, I was like, Oh, you know, what do I want? And I really just didn't, want to have to make any choices because that was really difficult but my mind was all over like just I trying to imagine every scenario trying to prepare and then you have people on the outside that are like come on you got to stay pregnant as though like a pep talk is gonna sure yeah. you know like oh I'm so glad you said that because now I will thank you <laughs> oh. <laughs> um <clears throat> Chrissy what do you man I'm uh um, what I'm having like a real tough time. I have a 10 month old baby and like, this is the first time that I've approached, like tried the first time that I've tried to like approach a conversation like this. And like, I know that it's important and I know that like, we shouldn't shy away from it. Um, and I'm, uh, I've totally lost my train of thought. I, um, uh, I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of put myself in your shoes and, and, and think about like, what, why is it for somebody like me, (laughs) the person that's listening to this, that feels exactly like I do right now, which is that like, this is really fucking hard and that it's something that you don't want to face. You don't want to think about, but it, it has value in it and you, and it has 
lessons to be learned in this experience and, the, and, and that you are liquid, quite literally an open book because from writing books uh, on the t- subject. Like, why is it, why do we need to have that conversation? I think that's, a, that's a great question. And I, I think for me, what I have especially thought about infant loss. Okay. So I've, you know, you learn about grief. People have come a long way when it talks about, when you talk about grief in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the kind of grief that is so extraordinarily lonely because I felt like I was the only person who knew them. I was the only person that had any connection to them. Like even, even my husband didn't like, it It wasn't, it wasn't the same for him. Um, And I was very, very alone. And I thought that, that I was crazy. Um, I had never been angry before. And I was like, so full of rage, like mm. just rage that sc- I scared myself thinking, holy shit, I'm nuts like I've gone crazy like every every movie on tv when the mom is a killer it's because her baby died like you go they everybody thinks you go psycho whatever and then like I started this was in 2009 so like blogging was a thing right where people were like this is what I had for breakfast here's my picture but you had to write a lot about it you couldn't just like post a quick picture like you can now And I found a blog of someone else who had lived through it. And I read every single entry on this blog. And I was like, holy crap, I am not alone. Like other people feel like this too. And knowing that it would get better, that I wouldn't always be so angry that I could walk down the aisle at a store and see a pregnant person and not want to like actually kick them. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I needed to know that that people had had lived through this Mm. and it's it's hard like when I have friends who are pregnant I like I have to watch myself because everything they say I'm like "Mm, (laughs) that might be a warning sign go to your doctor because I'm so hypersensitive to it and I'm always afraid it's going to happen to people that I love um but talking about it I I honestly, like all the people around me, I think they have changed how they handle any kind of grief. Um, Knowing like me sharing what I thought was so the things people said to me that were so insensitive and so rude. And by me sharing that people were like, I never really thought about it that way. I thought that was what I was supposed to say. What what are examples of some of the things that you heard from people when you were going through your process of grief? Um, well, I guess I'll tell you my favorite one. This is usually a, a crowd pleaser. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was in the hospital. I hadn't been released yet. In fact, I may have still been pregnant. I can't remember. But someone from my husband's family came to see us and we had said we didn't want visitors. Um but they like found a way in. And, you know, a lot of people would start out by saying like, oh, you know, I had a miscarriage too or whatever. And I'd, I'd get so angry because I was like, this, this wasn't a fucking miscarriage. Like I held them in my arms, which is ridiculous. It was, it's like grief Olympics. Right. But at the time I couldn't control myself. So this family member was like, I had a miscarriage too. And what I've really always believed is that it happens for a reason. And she said Mm. to me, and I'm not lying, they probably would have been serial killers. Oh my gosh. No fucking way. Oh yeah, Christy. No way. Way. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard. That that is like, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm not joking. Oh my God. That is so insane. The single most. Holy shit. Honestly, honestly though, that probably would have made me feel better. You know, I would have totally been like, yeah, oh yeah. I was like, oh, everything's fine now. Everything's fine. I saved the world. God. Wow. Two more serial killers. That is crazy. I mean, 
how would you know? You know, like I, I don't know, man. That's that's a big that's a big statement to throw out there. I, well, one thing that I that I am first of all, I'm so sorry that somebody said that to you, like that, yeah. and especially family. You know, like that's just yeah. so that's so harsh. And and not to like come to their defense, but like it it really does go to show how we we really don't know how to deal with death. We don't know how to, how to talk about death. We are a death phobic society. This is something we talk about on the show all the time. Um, and one of the things that I know is really important when it comes to the loss of life, whether that's someone that you know, or, um, you know, whether it be an infant or your grandfather or a fucking dog for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that's like, like highly important when it comes to dealing with death and grief is the, the rituals that we surround death and the ways that we remember the people that we've lost. And, uh, just recently, we had a conversation with a guy named George who who runs an organization that does these um, reef burials. So so he he creates these uh, reef balls that that is mixed with cement and the ashes ashes of their loved ones, and it's planted into the ocean. And it like you know cool. reefs grow off of it, and it's like it's like you know it's it's giving back to the earth, giving back to the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, when speaking about like infant death, what are what 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 was your um what were the rituals that you and your husband took on to to you know remember your infant and to say goodbye and to you know have that memory uh last yeah um at first it was really difficult um <laughs> i didn't know i had no idea what to do um Someone came into the into my hospital room and said, you know, I'm a part of this organization. Um, we can take pictures of your babies to make them sort of like not look as sick, you know, mm. and they were not alive anymore um, so that you can have pictures. And I was like, what? Get the fuck out of here. Like, that's mm. nuts. And now, of course, I wish I had those, but like no one had prepared me. I didn't know if we should have a funeral or not. Um, a lot of people really made me feel like that would be trivial or stupid. Like they were like, oh, you're thinking about that? Like I it just I sort of let um other people's judgments get in my way. Um so at first there wasn't a lot. We had um Sophie and Aiden were cremated. And I had like a horrific experience at a fun at the funeral home. Um, like I called and they're like, it's like stuff that you just, you're not supposed to know this. Right. But like babies are so small that they can't be cremated on their own because there won't be anything left. So mm. you have to do it with another adult. So we mm. had to like wait until somebody else died in order to that wanted to be cremated in order to get them cremated. And that was, that was really tough for me. And you try to like, sorry for everybody out there who's now visualizing that. Cause it's horrible. Right. Um, but then even going to the funeral home, like, they really didn't want to talk to us. Like they, Mm. I was like, you are like the deaf people. You're supposed to be good at this. I shouldn't be comforting you. You're supposed to be comforting me. But they were like, Oh, do you want to see these cute little urns? And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, no, I want to leave here and I want to get out of here. Mm. Um, But later on, after I knew more, I started a lot more rituals to remember them. So like for a while, every year on their birthday, um, I would literally have like a little birthday party. Like we'd have a cake and, um, you know, some people in my family would come. Some people were like, oh yeah, you're totally not so, you know? Um, but now now I do less of that. And it's more of just like everybody around me knows that they existed. Mm. And, um, like if you walk around my house, you might see, um, their urns over the fireplace or a picture of a butterfly or whatever it is that makes me think of them. Um, so it's kind of turned into, into more of just like, they're kind of still a part of our family, even though they're not here. Um, but I think one of the things that extended my 
grieving process a lot was not going through any rituals like that, like not having a funeral Mm -hmm. and not having, um, I don't, I don't think anyone but me, um, like touched them. My husband was afraid to hold them, um, which I get because I was too. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) Um, so I, I, you know, that was really hard. And I, I, my, the picture book I wrote is especially for families who just like need that permission to grieve out loud, to like talk about their babies, like they existed and say, you know what? I don't care if everybody thinks I'm crazy. Like this is what's going to help me. Mm-hmm. But the, that book is always ours, correct? Correct. <laughs> can you, mm-hmm. can you just, uh, can you, what was the name of, of your, your babies? Um, Sophie was my daughter, Sophie May and Aiden James. Sophie and Aiden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, um, Christy, how you manage that. Cause you've, you've sort of mentioned this a few times, like the, I don't know if conflict's the right word, but the conflict that comes up, um, <laughs> within your family and friends around the idea of you grieving, um, Sophie and Aiden. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious because I can imagine how, um, that would feel. And I think of when you, when you, you said something at the beginning that really struck me, that was like, you were the only person that felt like you really knew them. And, um, I suddenly, when you said that understood how difficult it would be to grieve, um, losing someone that, that you feel like nobody else knows. And, and, and when your family and friends are like, you know, oh, like don't don't do the funeral. It's 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 silly or it's a little over the top or whatever. Like it, now that that time is sort of passed, and and now that you're doing these celebrations every year, like how do you manage that conflict when it comes up in your family when you feel like they just don't get it, but you know that you need this and it's important to you? Um, it was really hard for a long time. Now these poor people have to deal with me because I just keep writing books and I keep speaking about it at events and I keep going on podcasts and I keep <laughs> writing articles. So there, I mean, they don't have a chance anymore. Like they don't even, they don't, I don't think anyone even flinches at anything I say at this point. Uh, but in the beginning it was, it was real. it was really tough. I'm like, I, like I said, I'm a teacher and I worked at a middle school teaching French at that point. Um, and there were like literally seven other pregnant teachers at the same time. And we met once a week to like talk about our pregnancies or whatever. And then they all got to stay pregnant and have their babies. And I didn't. And I remember thinking like, I can't talk about this because it makes them too sad. And then, and then when I decided to write this book and whatever else, I thought, okay, well, it's okay to be a little sad, but I need to talk about, I need to talk about this too. So my coworkers and my friends and my family are, they, they're just used to it now and whatever their <laughs> thoughts are, they, they keep them to themselves. Mm. <laughs> what kind I, of- I, I, and I just want to, I just want to follow up on that because, um, you know, as I've been going on this, uh, I've been on this therapy journey for the last couple of years and, I have found that there's a lot of things in my life that like sometimes I haven't talked about because, you know, I think that other people don't want to hear about it. So like mm-hmm. I, I kind of put my own needs on hold so that, you know, I can make other people around me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is one of those perfect examples where like it's <clears> easy <throat> to have those like in a, in a, in a situation like this where you have these really a- intense feelings that need to, sort of find a place to work themselves out through the grieving process. Like grief is, is supported by your ability to connect and go through that with, with other people. And so when you're, when you feel like you're not able to do that with other people, I imagine it would be really, really challenging. So, um, yeah, I, I think of like other people who are listening to this, who, you know, haven't written books to talk about it and like, aren't that person to their friends and family, but, are still going through that. And I, I hope that, you know, they realize how important it is for them to be able to talk about that, even if it makes other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I hope their friends think, okay, I should ask them about how they're doing. Like, like a simple thing, like, you know, 
what do you guys do? Just like the questions you guys asked me, you know, I, I meet people all the time that will tell me that they lost a baby 30 years ago and, and have not talked out loud about that baby since. Mm. I don't, it was like a couple of months ago, I was meeting with somebody for coffee and then her friend was there and she's like, Oh, you're Christy. You wrote that book. And then she said, I, I lost a baby in like 1974. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. What was her name? And she burst out crying. She she couldn't believe it. No one had ever asked her that in her entire life. <laughs> she had never spoken her baby's name in 30 years. Um, because, you know, even in, in 2009 compared to today, people are handling it differently. They're They're really learning what helps humans when they're going through this, like, um, it used to be, they just took the baby away and you never got to see it. And now they're letting people keep them for 24 hours. Um, which, you know, to some people it's morbid to other people. It's like, thank God I had that time. So people get to choose, but, um, I just, I don't know. I'm just always a fan of talking about it and asking about it in like a non-confrontational way. Just, Mm. just, I just want you to know that I think about this from time to time. And I hope you know that. Mm -hmm. What, what kind of toll did this take on your relationship? Because I know that like the loss of a child is one of those things that at least in media is like one of those things that (laughs) is viewed as like the, the toughest thing that, that can happen in a relationship. And it's oftentimes the thing that like, brings a relationship to an end, um, because of the stress, because of the grief. Um, what, you know, how did this affect you and and your, your husband? Yeah, that was, excuse me, that was really, really hard. And I, to this day, am so grateful that I was always a reader because right away, like, I don't know. I was pretty hardcore dep- depressed for like a few weeks. Like I didn't get out of bed. And then yeah. I was like, all right, so I'm pretty type A. Like I need an action plan because I can't spend the rest of my life in bed being miserable. And I went to the library and I got a stack of books, <clears throat> which is actually kind of how I ended up writing my book because like nine out of 10 of those books sucked. They were like, <laughs> um, I always call them like, do drop in the water books because after you have your baby and the baby dies, they still keep you on the labor and delivery floor where everybody else is having their babies. Um, but they just put a little card outside your door that has a little leaf with a dew drop on it. And I used to get so pissed about it because I'm like, um, it would look like a tsunami. Okay, there would not be like a tiny little dew drop. <laughs> um <laughs> So most of these books were like that. They were really do joppy about like, you know, I don't know, just very like you, you will find calm and peace and whatever. And I told you I was full of rage. I, there was no peace for me, but one of the books I checked out was about, and I can't, I don't even remember the title, but it was about how men and women grieve differently. Yeah. And I read that book and I am like a hundred percent convinced if I hadn't, we would be divorced because I was so resentful of how little he wanted to talk about it, how little he wanted to engage with me about it. Um, to me, I thought like, what the hell? He's not even sad. Like, what is he, what's going on? And really what I needed to understand was that his way of taking care of me was going to work, cooking dinner, (laughs) like taking care of the house, like the routine. Yeah. Yeah. His first priority was taking care of me. He Mm. was afraid of losing me. I don't even think he let himself think about grieving these babies. Now I have forced him to do it (laughs) over, (laughs) over the past, you know, decade. So now, now it's, it ain't no big thing. But. I, I think that's so important because like, you know, to that point, like everybody grieves differently. Everybody <laughs> has a different relationship to death yeah. and loss and we all have our own ways of, of doing it. And, and like, you know, granted some people might not have the best coping me- mechanisms and, and some people probably grieve healthier than others. Um, but like when there's no, like in your case here, it's, it sounds like even though your husband was, 
was maybe not talking about it. He had his ways of of grief that he was coping in a in a way that wasn't that didn't doesn't seem unhealthy by any means. You know, it's right. it, there's like a caretaker element to it, which I think is like highly important and really valuable. But like just one of those things to keep in mind that like when it comes to the loss, when it comes to grief and death, like everybody has their own way of of tackling yeah. it and like no there's no right or wrong way about it. Um there just might be a less healthy ways about it and it's and like recognizing that is so important to like maintain relationships you know right i always say like okay don't have an affair and don't turn to drugs and alcohol yeah those are too bad those are too bad roads to go down yeah those are gonna be your deal breakers (laughs) yeah yeah Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. We are technically a comedy podcast and not to like try to inject humor into this, but um, did humor play a role at all in your, in your grief process? Oh, like sure. what, what did that look like? And where did you, fi- like, how were you able to find humor in, in a, a place like this? Okay. Well, first of all, humor is like my, like my <laughs> trauma response from being a kid who had like a super mean dad. Okay. Lulz. So I like, he, narcissistic super like emotionally abusive whatever but I could make everybody laugh and if I made everybody laugh then sometimes it would like diffuse the situation so I already I already had the humor um what I sort of kind of got addicted to when this happened is my humor was just a little like more edgy and I never was somebody who was edgy. Like in high school, I like couldn't even swear. I was like, no, that's bad, you know? But <laughs> being able to kind of like shock somebody when I'm like, like somebody would say something and I'd be like, oh, remember I can't, the dead baby thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And people would just be like, oh my God. And I really sort of liked the shock I would get from it because it stopped people from like, tilting their head and going, how are you? You know, it was more like, okay, I'm just not going to talk to Christy because I don't know what's going to come out of her mouth. (laughs) But also I'm a teacher and it's like a big part of, of like everything I am, I guess. Just just to dig on that, like, and pull that thread a little bit further. Like, do you feel like that like edgy shock humor would, would almost like take the mask off some people? Yeah, I think so. Because like when I hear you, I hear you say that, and I I think of somebody who's like who's like doing the the like oh how, like how how are you that head tilt thing, but mm-hmm. like when you respond like that, then it like almost forces them to like like drop the mask and go okay fuck yeah um, yeah yeah exactly like, how are you really exactly because it just I got really <laughs> tired. I got really tired of people saying things to me that I was just like, like to give an example, if you don't know if someone is like religious or not, and you say to them, like, it's just God needed another angel in his army. I was like, are you kidding me? What, what army? What, what, I don't even understand what's happening. The army for the apocalypse, duh. Oh, right, yeah. right. So people would say stuff like that to me and it would make me so mad. And if I ever voiced that, people would look at me like I was the world's worst person. And I always had to be the better person. I always had to be the one to forgive them. I always had to be the one that had to reach down deep and say, well, it's coming from a good place and they mean well. Okay, sure, great. But I really wanted to flip it so that people never say that ever again to anybody unless you know that they keep track of God's army and how many angels are in it and that he definitely <laughs> needed another one that day. 
I mean, you know? there's a lot of loss every day. That that, that army is getting it's growing it's a little bit. It's a little really, big. It's pretty big. That, <laughs> that's the thing that I find. Like, I mean, to teach their own. Like, if you want to, yeah. If you're a religious person, you believe in that. That's yeah. that's great. But it, I I find that this is the most challenging point where religion comes up is when it comes to grief and loss. Yeah. And then people use that as an opportunity to like sort of project their views of the world on mm-hmm. you as if it's going to co- like <laughs> comfort you in some sort of way. They're in a better yeah. place. They would tell me. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. would be like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they should be right here with me. I, I, it was, it, it was just non nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. What, what, like, totally. what are, what are some of the things that if someone find, you know, somebody who's listening to this right now has recently gone through something that you've gone through or, Somebody listening right now knows someone who went through what you've gone through. How how can people show up for them? Like, what are the things that you want to hear from those those people? My biggest piece of advice for this is <laughs> to say it sounds it's going to sound cliche, okay, but it's true. I think is to say less and listen more. And I think that all, what what I wanted people to say to me truth truthfully was like. Christy, this sucks so bad. And I am so sorry that this happened to you. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit, sit here with you because when you're grieving, you're also really annoying. (laughs) Like I was a super annoying griever. Nobody could make, nobody could make me happy. Right. If you did this, I got pissed. If you did that, I was also pissed. Like you could not please me. Um, when you're grieving, you're really selfish. Like you really can't think beyond yourself. Um, and, and I would get so, so mad about people complaining about trivial stuff. Like, oh, I, I accidentally left my paper in the copier and now I have to go back down and get it. And I'd be like, really? Cause my babies died. So thanks for telling me, like, I was so bitter and angry and, like self-absorbed and I just needed people to say like I'm gonna wait this out like I will still show up for you you can tell me that story five times because I know how hard it is for you and I'm and I'm still gonna love you at the end of this so you know nothing you say is gonna make the person (laughs) feel any better yeah like nothing I I can't think of a thing to make it better, but we as humans, we want to make it better. So we reach for these things like, you know, he's in a better place or you'll understand why this happened someday, you know, because everything happens for a reason and whatever. And that stuff just ends up, I think, making it worse because I don't know, you're, you're trying to explain it away instead of opening up the conversation and, and talking about how bad this sucks. Like I would not wish this upon anybody. Mm. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about um, always ours? The, the, uh, the children's book that you wrote. Um, I like, I have a, I have a bit of a fascination with children's books. I I've, I've always wanted to write a, a children's horror book. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. <laughs> and, and I like, so I, I, you know, children's books have a really like special place in my heart, but how, how the fuck do you write a book about, infant death and grief, uh, for children. Like how how do you get that message across? So in the book, um, there are two little girls and their sisters and they're kind of noticing that like something is wrong with their mom. Like she's not her normal self. She's staying in bed all the time. They're a little worried about it. So like I tried to build suspense a little bit. Then mom goes to the hospital to have a baby And they go to grandma's house and then, um, you know, they find out that like the baby's name was James and he was really sick and he didn't make it. And there's this part where the girls ask their mom, like, well, can we see him? And her parents are so shocked by that. Like, (gasps) what do you mean? Like, what do you mean see him? And they, you know, kids are... God, kids are way better at grief than grownups. Like my fourth graders are unrivaled in how they handle sadness. Every year I tell my class, like, just so you know, I'm an author. These are what the books are about. And they ask so many great questions. They're so good at it. But they, 
there's like a, a subplot where one of the sisters is learning about butterflies in school and they learn about how strong butterflies have to be through all this mess. And they, they can sort of like relate it back to this loss of their brother and they come home and the, the girl has helped grow this butterfly from a caterpillar and they release the butterfly into the sky in memory of James. And then there's also like a, a nursery rhyme that they sing at nighttime and they just add James's name in, in the end. So it's just like this, like sweet, subtle way of we're not stopping our life and, you know, we can't move forward because we lost this baby, but it's like every night we're going to say good night to James and look at a, a picture of a butterfly on our nightstand or whatever. So it's just like, like I said before, like that permission for a family to grieve and remember and not, not try to hide it. That's really, <clears throat> it's really, uh, it's really beautiful. Like I'm, I'm looking at the book right now on, on Amazon um, and the, the illustration by Julie Wells is like, it's, it's so sweet and like it's uplifting. So and, sweet. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love the illustrations. Yeah. Um, Christy, what would you say is the, what would you say is the biggest thing that your, the biggest thing that your experience with the loss of your children has taken away from you? Oh, um, probably just like innocence, being naive about things. Um, I, th I mean, I think that was my first experience with knowing how like fragile life is. And I guess I was probably a lot more optimistic <laughs> Um, than I am now, I think I, you know, I don't know. It, it did give me a lot too, but it really took away a lot of like, just my, like, I, I used to be, even with all the other crap I dealt with in my life, I still was really just like naturally optimistic that things were going to turn out. Um, and now I feel like I default more towards, okay, well, I was in the 1% and that happened to me. So I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get this or, you know, this is going to happen to me too. Like, I I think it just kind of stole that, I don't know, that feeling that like everything would be okay. And because now I know sometimes it's not. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, so much compassion for other people. Like I, it, it, it completely changed me as an educator. Um, I don't look at children the same way at all because like, I don't know, like, I just, I love them. I love the kids more. And I kind of like, outrageous like I over love them I outrageously love them because I feel like in my saddest times that's just what I needed I needed somebody to like love me unconditionally no matter what so I have these fourth graders that are like so fucking annoying sometimes <laughs> right and I have to like I have to outrageously love them because I I don't know like I I don't ever want anyone to feel as alone as alone as I did. And I know that people do. And, and that bothers me. Like every day I'm bothered by the fact that someone somewhere out there is going through something by themselves and how scary and horrible it must be. Mm. Chrissy, I wanted to ask you, did you, did you write always hours um, before you had uh, your other two kids? No. And what, um, how much did that play a role in your idea to write that? A, a, a big role because I was never, I never was secretive about it, but like, I'm also like, oh my God, I don't want to ruin my other kids and like make them feel like they're living in the shadow of the dead babies. I, I like, it was very difficult. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do and there's not a ton of research on it. So I didn't really know. 
but as my kids got older, they knew Sophie and Aiden's name. They could point to like the treasure box that has their items in it. Uh, But then they started asking questions and some of the questions were so hard. Like I remember eating breakfast with my son. He was probably like six and he was like, Hey mom, if Sophie and Aiden hadn't died, would I be here? And I was like, um, well, that's a great question. I don't really know how to answer that. Um, and, and I just remember thinking like, there have to be other families who have these conversations and don't know how to answer them. And, and there have to be families who like me were sort of living in like the judgment of other people and not knowing how much they should say out loud, how much would be accepted. Um, like if I ever even put something on Facebook about it, it would be like, nobody would comment. And then someone else would be like, my dog died and 450 people would be like, oh my God, that's the saddest thing ever. (laughs) And I like, it never made sense to me. So yeah, I, it only came out, um, right during the pandemic, like 2020, June of 2021, I would say. I I have to ask because, um, (laughs) one thing that has come up um, in recording this podcast over the years is the like how to talk about hard things to kids and mm-hmm. and like this seems like one of the most challenging things mm. to to talk about with your kids um how do you like make like be honest and be forthcoming with them in a way that makes sense to them for the age that they're at and like how does that evolve as they get older yeah that's um, a really good topic to talk about. My daughter is 12 now. Um, and she has been begging me for probably three years to read almost a mother. And I'm like, girl, no, you Ooh. cannot read almost a mother. Like you don't need to know. Cause I got really, uh, vulnerable in that book. Like it's, there's some stuff she doesn't need to know about her mom <laughs> quite yet. Um, But just being a teacher for so long, I think that, first of all, I don't think we usually give kids as much credit as they deserve. I think they can handle a lot. And I think as a teacher, part of the reason that I've been, well, I hate the word successful, but like, I'm a good teacher. And part of it is because I talk to kids like on, on my level. And I don't say adult things, but I'm always honest with them. And I frame everything. And I think it's just how you word it. Like in Always Ours, they say, um, James was really, really sick and he died. They, no, You don't need the details of how he died or why he died. Um, but he's not, he's not here anymore. And we speak in metaphor so often that a lot of times kids don't even know what you're talking about. So you, I always say like, use the real word. Don't say, well, we lost him or he passed away. Like say he died because at the very least they maybe will understand the like permanency of that. Yeah. It's, it depends on the kid on honestly, the situation, um, you got to know your kid really well and and be careful. Mostly let them come up. I always try to let them come up with the answers rather than me telling them like, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you mm-hmm. think happened? Mm-hmm. Um, again, folks, the books um, uh, that we are talking about, Almost a Mother, Love, Loss, and Finding Your People When Your Baby Dies. After All, Pregnancy After Your Baby Dies. And always ours, the children's book. Um, Christy, how can people find copies of the book if they're interested in in grabbing one? Um, they're available on Amazon, um, anywhere you can get books online. Um, or I don't know if somebody wants a signed one or something, they can go to my website, which is <laughs> ChristyWopat.com. There you go, ChristyWopat.com. <laughs> Christy, uh, yes, too. Go ahead. I uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, it's I I I I've found it extremely hard to participate in this conversation, and um, and I want to say that it I, although I found it hard to do that, 
Um, because in all honesty, this, this topic really turns my brain to mush. Um, I was listening intently to every word that you said. And, um, and I'm just really grateful that, um, that you exist. Thank you. I listen to your podcast all the time. It's so clear how wonderful of a dad you are. So clear to me. So you keep outrageously loving that baby. And don't, you don't, I know where you're going. You don't need to feel guilty because this did not happen to you. Okay. So just be grateful for everything you have and you got, you got it. Thanks, Christy. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, Christy. This has been uh, a real treat. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.